Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here on a Wednesday morning, all goofed up on the schedule because we're not playing a football game on a Saturday night in the fall. It's a Thursday night game for West Virginia at Houston, 7 p.m. FS1. Here to preview, predict, discuss, debate. Chris Anderson, Chris, did you get the fruit basket from the University of Houston? No, I did not. Oh, it's lovely. Everybody's been very nice this week. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Too nice? Yeah, I just, I know some of the backstories and I just don't buy it. I know they're saying like the right things and all that stuff. And I think time changes a ton of stuff, obviously. Uh, just some of the key um, actors, let's say, aren't in the same places anymore. So that helps. But there were, for some people involved here, there was definitely some animosity. I don't think those people have microphones, which is good for them. Maybe not for you and me, but on the surface, yeah, everybody a fan of one another and the things they did here and are doing there. Um, But both teams really, really want to win this one and need to win this one for totally different motivations too. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was talking about the our Houston guys, and I was like, "Yeah, I think this is like weirdly a must win for WVU, and almost none of it has to do with Dana, like, and that connection. It's just, hey, good things are happening, and now all of a sudden there's an expectation of instead of being the underdog, that like, wow, they beat TCU, wow, they beat Texas Tech. Now there's an expectation of, hey, you're a better team than Houston. You need to win this one. This is one of the winnable games on the schedule. Do it, and." Um, you know, obviously, and then for Houston, they're they're off to a two and three start. And if they lose this one, they're going to have to climb back up the hill just to get to bowl eligibility. And and Dana's, you know, on a little bit of a hot seat down there in Houston. So, yeah, both teams with a lot of motivation Thursday night. Yeah, it's such a strange catch 22 here, because if Neil Brown goes down to Houston and wins with extra preparation against a team he's favored to beat and banks have had a straight win. Cool. You've been building toward that. You're supposed to do that. You pat him on the head, obviously. We don't pat too many times. I feel like that's what the fans would do. However, if you go on the road and lose to a team that's at home with extra time to prepare, it's a Big 12 game. I don't think these teams are wildly different. We can get into why there are some differences, obviously. But if they lose, you not only lose a game that maybe you shouldn't, but also you lost to the guy who was here before you, and that's just going to naturally inflict some of the this guy really lost to that guy really like it's going to do some of that which makes this kind of fascinating like on the surface it's there it doesn't have anything to do with what happens though or like how you evaluate things just because you beat someone or lose to someone and there's some sort of a connection doesn't really matter but i think to people who have some sort of an investment in this game beyond the team they root for but maybe like who they root against or times that they didn't like or departures they didn't really care for this this carries a little bit extra meaning but Again, everybody's really happy and friendly during this whole pregame here. Um, I was I mentioned this before we came on, Chris, and the schedule has me all goofed up, but I'm pretty sure that West Virginia has infrequently been a road favorite under Brown. I want to say it was at Kansas in 2021 was the last one. And then if I had this right, maybe ugh, look at my numbers here. It might have been 
at Kansas in 2019 as well? I don't know. It, it doesn't happen very often. Do you happen to know that data? Do I have to like sneak this into a fresh set box at some point? Do we have this on the top of our head? Because it doesn't happen very you often. Might have to, yeah, you might have to sneak that in. Uh, and uh, I, think I used to be able to pull that up pretty quick, and I can't remember what site it was that I was using for that, which would pull up you know, a, a certain college team's schedule and have the spread right there and you just about scroll down you're good to go but i don't see it and don't think i have it what was the line for tech virginia tech last year um yeah so you're gonna have to give me a minute i don't know that would be the one that rival it i think let's see at virginia tech west virginia was two point favorite there it is. So maybe it's the last Big Twelve game that was that was Kansas. So either way, it doesn't happen too often. It's a good thing, but it's also earned, and it does make sense here too. Why, Chris? Why is West Virginia favored on the road Thursday night with the other team not traveling and having extra time to prepare for a team? Because I think there are a ton of question marks about Houston. I think there's there's some matchups here for West Virginia. Um, some of it's like this this good on good, like where West Virginia's good, Houston's okay, or maybe even good, but I, I think West Virginia's better. And then where they're both kind of weak, it just seems like more of an opening for West Virginia to be decent. It just seems like a tough matchup for Houston. Um, you know, if it weren't for say home field and, and maybe the extra motivation of winning this game for for Dana and so many people on that sideline. Um, I, I would have picked WVU pretty handily in this one because uh, because the numbers say you know hey maybe it is WVU. We can start offense. We can start defense. Heck, we can even start special teams because there are certainly some aspects of the third phase that matter. Um, there's there are some overlaps here. I, I'm gonna give a lot away, but some overlaps with these two sides, and they're obvious, but there's some that are extra too. And um, I was talking to one person just about the game and how offenses match up against Houston is kind of different with their defense and how the defense matches up with the offense is obviously different, but there are some core principles that just seem like they they match up in West Virginia's favor. Um, Houston, very solid up front, and they want to force teams to throw because they can stop the run with those guys. And if you can gear your passing attack with extra people or with extra attention to the back and not the front because you con- you're confident stopping the run, then you're okay. The problem with that is, Chris, their run defense isn't very good. In fact, it's bad. It's in the low 90s out of the 133 teams in the FBS. And then it seems to me that this this person's point of view was, if you can load up and you can run the ball at Houston, um, just hit a couple pass plays, throw it 12, 15 times, and then offensively just cover their receivers because they're not very good running the ball. And if you can keep that quarterback under wraps, um, what this person kind of said, like the, the quarterback doesn't get outside and make plays, and then maybe throw off the thread of his feet, they're going to have a hard time getting past any type of special coverages that you might devote to their speed and their skill outside. And this person likes West Virginia by like double digits because of the matchups and the way they kind of lean toward the natural way these two teams play and match up with each other. So I guess we can begin with the obvious here, which is when West Virginia has the ball, being big, lining up and taking on that front of Houston, which is pretty good, but as we mentioned here, is not very good against the run so far. Yeah, I believe they're 98th in run defense and 91st in pass defense. So there's not a lot of strengths on that side of the ball. Uh, Might have flip-flopped those two, but either way, both in the 90s 
um, out of 133 teams, like you said. So, it, it and you look for trends, like where where is it going to happen? Yeah, I mean, with the running game, they've had a couple games where teams were able to run the ball, and Houston won. Teams were not able to run the ball, but Houston lost. But in general, overall, they're just not a very good run defense team. And then you get to their secondary. Ooh. <laughs> That's where there's a big difference between, you know, the split stats between what's happening in wins and what's happening in losses. And I'm not saying, like you said, I think you mentioned it just a second ago. You don't have to go out and throw 50 times. Go out there and, and hit some of these passes 15, 20 times, and you're good. Like, it's not a volume thing here. It's an efficiency thing and a big play thing because in losses, Houston has allowed teams to complete over 65% of their passes and about nine yards per attempt with seven touchdowns to just two interceptions. In the wins for Houston, their defense has at least slowed things down, and those numbers are down to 56% completion, 5.7 yards per attempt, and only one touchdown to four interceptions. So it's there if you can get it and and really attack that secondary, but it's not a volume thing. It's an efficiency and big play thing right there. Big numbers by UTSA, TCU, and Texas Tech, and Houston is one and two in those games. Squeak by. Uh, UTSA, thanks to a, a big catch by Michael Lachlan in that game. Third down, moved the chains, helped them get out of that game with a win, and then just could not stop the run against TCU and Texas Tech. Uh, West Virginia did not light up either one of those teams with their running game. They're still trying to get their running game on track, but if they're trying to look up things and figure out what they can do, they have a recency of having just played these two teams, and they can study what Houston did to, uh, or those teams did to Houston and how they can make it work. Is there some carry over there? I don't know. Be interested to watch the quarterbacks too. Frank Harris and Chandler Morris both ran the ball effectively. Not a lot, but sometimes the UTSA quarterback and the TCU quarterback could get outside and run. Um, nine for 69 for um, Morris, seven for, I don't have no hair, 41 yards for Harris. So um, by design, those, those are sack adjusted. So you take away the one sack for UTSA, the three sacks for TCU. Those are the numbers for the quarterbacks in the run game there. Not all called, some by design, some by need but that's an extra running back that West Virginia has good news for the offense here I think Garrett Green healthy practicing the rest was good for him he looked okay on a compromised angle ankle against um, TCU a little over a week ago figure he's healthier now he can actually be sharp he can plant with authority when he runs and that is a second running back back there that this defense is going to have to account for and not at all times have the Cougars been able to do that and that just makes you wonder, can they can they do something with the quarterback in the backfield to open up the passing game? Because figure that Houston is going to do like a lot of teams do. They're going to probably be a little bit more aggressive or closer to West Virginia's receivers. I think when I look at stuff, though, they're in zone 75, 80 percent of the time, even though they have some big corners and some veteran corners who have played a lot of football, maybe in different schools. They just haven't had any success stopping the pass, though. Well, and and I'm looking at. This is what you remember how we we kept talking about contested targets and contested catches for last year. And it was like, hey, that's great, but not great because that means you're not getting open. Well, Houston secondary in their games against FBS opponents. They are contesting targets only 19 percent of the time. That means four out of every five pass attempts 
for opposing quarterbacks, the receiver is open. Four out of five times, the receiver is open, open, not contested. And what have we been talking about being a problem for West Virginia's wide receivers? They can't get open. They're having a hard time getting open. They're hard having a hard time getting separation. Like you noted, they're, they're running a lot of zone. So that means you're going to have to kind of sit in those zones. You're not going to have the tight man coverage that, that West Virginia faced like against TCU where the receivers just could not get away from uh, defensive backs. But this is an opportunity for these receivers to make the most of these situations where they are open. And again, Eric Green has to hit them too because while West Virginia didn't get a lot of separation, even when they did against TCU, Green didn't hit a couple of those throws. Uh, the the Rodney Gallagher play comes to mind where he he got separation, was wide open in the end zone. And I think uh, I received a message from a certain someone that said, holy cow, Garrett Green threw that one to Dallas. Um, <laughs> that's not good. We got, you got to capitalize on those kind of situations. And Houston's going to give WVU that opportunity in the secondary. Their cornerbacks are big. That's the one thing I've noticed too, just watching some stuff, um, flipping through some highlights of them. And then different than what I saw, like I watched them play, uh, Rice, um, that was the JT Daniels game. All of a sudden, Rice is out having a huge game. We're in a weather delay in the Mountaineer Field press box, so that's an interesting one. Did not see some of the same players, and their corners now are 6'2 and 6'3, and the new one to watch, probably Moses Alexander, wasn't playing early on. He's played in three games now. He started the last two. He's 6'3, 195, kind of a, a sneaky, talented junior college kid. Other side is uh, Isaiah Hamilton, 6'1, 175. They have a pretty good nickelback named Malik Fleming, who was like an all-conference player at East Carolina. He's just 5'8", 179, though. Trouble is that like when things do get in between the corners and maybe beyond that nickel, their safeties haven't been great in coverage this year, and they they just give up plays in chunks, and, and quarterbacks have gotten hot and kind of had some success in, in, in stretches against them. Can they get open, though? I just wonder if it's one of those games where Green gets rid of the ball quick, so... He can't get sacked. He can't get pressured by that front. Or maybe he runs early. I don't know. But find the space sooner rather than later and make something happen. I like that you brought up Fleming because he is such an all-or-nothing guy for them. Um, looking at the numbers here from PFF, he has allowed 14 of 19 completions for 205 yards, which is horrendous. Except, so there's five incompletions there. Three of those five incompletions have been interceptions, and the other two were pass breakups. Um, like he literally got his hand on it. So he is an all or nothing guy. Like he he's kind of he'll create some havoc, but if you can get past him, if you can make that one play, beat him for that ball, you can make it happen. Um, and I'm with you. Like it outside of those corners, it's attacking those linebackers. They run like a four, two, five kind of looking thing with two true linebackers. At least that's how they're listed as lined up. That's how their depth chart read. Depth depth chart. Am I pronouncing that right, Mike? We, I'm not we familiar what that, that is. Okay, I, I think it's called a depth chart, and um, they run they they line it up as a four two five, and those linebackers and that nickelback, thirty four of forty three for four hundred and six yards when they're in coverage. That's opposing quarterbacks at the FBS level. So you could, or at all levels, actually, I don't even think that that's excluding Sam Houston State. Like they can get picked apart across the middle there. Um, they do have Antonio Brooks back. He played the first game, missed the next couple. He played the last game, um, but still, they gave up. You know, he wasn't he wasn't the fix because they definitely got. Um, it wasn't a great Baron Morton game, but he he definitely had some some moments where he looked good. And again, you can kind of pick your spots against them. 
I guess the strength of defense, though, Chris, is that front. Um, they have they have some troublemakers when you look at um, whether it's transfers or guys they dealt with the years, but they they have some players who can probably start rubbing their hands together when you think about the offensive line that West Virginia may put out there, which could be Nick Malone, Jaquay Hubbard, and then Zach Frazier. I guess I guess you probably have Brandon Yates still at right guard, and then Doug Nestor at right tackle. But the latest on Wyatt Milam in red, wearing like protective spectacles, I guess. I don't know about sunglasses or a shield or whatever, but um, Wednesday, big practice day, I guess. Maybe it's a walkthrough. Can he go? But I also don't think that the fact he's wearing a red jersey and he's not participating in practice means a whole lot. I don't think he's one of those guys that has to practice to play. I think he's he's good enough to handle that. And, you know, he understands left tackle. They're not putting in exotic left tackle schemes, and he's got to be great for it. And he can certainly get mental reps. But if he can't play, you're a little bit thinner there, and you really you're using your two depth pieces in the starting lineup, which is a concern against anybody, but probably especially against a, a formidable, I would say, defensive front. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Yeah, I'm very curious what Houston does with Nelson Caesar. Uh, he is by far, I think, you know, one of the best pass rushers in the entire Big 12. He he led Houston with 48 pressures last year. He leads the team with 16 pressures so far this year. I think he's got five sacks already, too. Um, early on, first three weeks, I think it was, they kind of moved him back and forth where he lined up, left side, right side, left side, right side. I'm assuming that's a strong side, weak side sort of lineup and he was flip-flopping depending on how the offense was lining up and it seems like at least according to the pffs and where he was lined up at uh, for each snap he, he became more of a left side only which would be the right tackle spot lining up over across from doug nester in the last two games 61 of his 79 snaps have been at that left edge that left outside linebacker spot going up against the right tackle um will that remain the same you know knowing that if Rematch is out. We know Rematch is out, but if Milam might also be out, maybe you look at that left side and think, well, it's a little bit weaker. Maybe you flip Caesar and put him up against that side of the line and try to get to Garrett Green's blind side in that situation. I'm I'm curious what Houston will change or if they will change uh, with that because he is such a good player. And, you know, lining him up against Nestor, Nestor's a good player. There's some good on good, and maybe it's just, you know, running into a wall for Caesar or, Maybe he takes advantage of of West Virginia's best, you know, outside lineman, and they can have somebody else kind of try to pick on Malone. Although, to his credit, I, I'd love to poll WVU fans and ask them how many of them knew that Nick Malone played almost the entire second half against TCU, because it, it. I don't think many people noticed. It certainly wasn't being discussed, and 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 he was out there, and he was good. So. Be interesting to see. Yeah, when I say uh, Wednesday big practice day, that's on a regular week. Obviously, not this week, but I think if we if we were to find out that on the walkthrough before they fly to Houston that he's in red, why am I alone? Do not be alarmed by that. Um, I just think that he can play without practicing. If not, yeah, they're going to have to run Malone out there. 
they're going to have to hope that he and Hubbard stay upright and don't get rolled up or targeting calls against them or anything like that, because then you're into your eighth offensive lineman for a team that really has only played six or seven so far. I don't know who would be in next. And then, you know, you're, if, if something were to happen Malone, if he's ineffective, if he's hurt, if, he, like, if he's ejected for targeting, I think you probably slide Nestor over to left tackle and then try to put somebody in a right tackle, which could be Hubbard. It could be Yates. I don't know. A whole lot of crazy things happening. And I feel like we didn't get that a lot of attention during the the Q and A's we have with the offensive coordinator, the head co- coach this week. But again, this is a team that plays maybe, maybe six offensive linemen in the game. They're going to be starting perhaps number seven. They're definitely going to start number six. That's going to be something to watch there too, because I do think this is a good defensive line that can, if they're going to have a formula, it's going to be, let's stop this run. Um, Let's hope we can hold up against a mediocre, let's say, passing offense for West Virginia and get after the quarterback and make him make mistakes. It's a lot easier when you have a good defensive line and you're going against a compromised offensive line. I'm not saying that West Virginia is inferior, that it's the lesser of the two units up front. I think those five are probably still pretty good, certainly experienced enough in the program, if not in the field. And even I would say that at this point, Hubbard should probably be experienced on the field. Um, and Malone's just a guy who's been around. I think they trust and he has played and been uneventful save one flinch on a field goal block or field goal protection. I, don't, I wouldn't hold that against him as your left tackle of the present. So um, certainly something there to watch. Can it work? We'll see. And then just finally, Chris, any intangibles here when it comes to, I don't know, downs, distances, any other rankings, because one definitely jumps out to me that I think is important. Oh boy. Uh, I, I hope we don't have the same one. Cause I put in some time on this one. Ooh. Put in some time. Okay. You go first. And I'm going to steal your thunder that you've worked so hard to, capture can you tell me which team ranks dead last 133rd out of 133 teams in third down conversions of seven yards or longer this season ah are you kidding me (laughs) uh that was part of my explanation for why third downs are just critical here because again west virginia is not going to hit you with like a bevy of nine and 12 yard plays they're going to get to third down a bunch um yep. what third downs are really gonna matter two of 21 on third downs of seven yards or longer which ranks dead last the the two not the rate i'm sure the rate is probably last or close to last but the total of two is the lowest in the entire country 133 of 133 which again that's tough it's hard to overcome it makes sense with the offense i mean i i was as i was going through it and trying to filter out these teams going through piece by piece. It came down to the final three teams of being the lowest were WVU, Navy, and I think it was Air Force or Army. It it was tough. Um, And the good news, the the, the, the little bit of good news here, Houston ranks 115th out of 132 teams in tentacles for loss. So they're not going to be getting a lot of sacks. They rank 105th in sacks, 133 teams, excuse me. So they're not getting a bunch of sacks. They're not really getting into the backfield and getting tackles for loss that could really push WVU into those third and long situations either. Yeah, in wins, Houston's defense, seven conversions, 26 third downs, right? That's pretty good. They're getting off the field 19 times out of those 26. In their losses, here are the numbers. Rice was eight conversions, 14 attempts. TCU, six for 15, but also three for three on fourth down. And then Texas Tech was 6-4-11. Um, and if you look at those those breakdowns there, they're manageable fourth downs or third downs. They're not third and 12s are given away. But um, 
and and teams have been able to uh, let's see opposition is seven for eight on fourth down too so they're they're giving up plays that it's it's close on third it's close on fourth it's not a tall task to convert third down on them and if it is they either get closer or it's not a tall task on third down and they go again on fourth down and they've been really really successful uh one of the least successful third and fourth down defenses being uh Houston's defense and then can West Virginia again doesn't have to be CFL football here you can play three and four downs and and worry about your fourth down play on fourth down as opposed to second down you can actually use your downs to get in the situation you want to and, and that'll be tricky so Certainly something to watch right there. And I can't imagine all the toggling and addition you had to do because I know I know the site you went to to try to find that out. And that would have been quite time consuming, I think. So good for you. Yeah. Bouncing back and forth between all the running, passing, different situations. Not easy. Weeding them out. Yeah. Uh turnovers. You make anything out of Houston's turnover? Luck, uh, prowess, numbers. Yeah, I mean, turnovers are a big thing for Houston. I, what I've noticed is they are always forcing turnovers. Uh, on defense, I believe it was, they have uh, five forced turnovers in their wins, four forced turnovers in their losses. So the rate's a little better than uh, in their wins than it is in their losses. But more importantly, they're not turning the ball over on offense um, to give the ball back to the other team. I, I think they have zero turnovers on offense in their wins and three in their losses. So more so that things change on offense than they do in Houston's defense. All right, well, let's turn it over here to the other side here, the other matchup, which is going to be um, flipping the script, obviously. It'll be the Houston offense, the West Virginia defense. We'll start with some personnel things here. We mentioned the offensive line uncertainty. We know for sure, no Trey Lathan. He will be replaced by Lee Koba and ostensibly by Ben Cutter. Ben Cutter, now you're Mike Koba, you're Will. Let's start there. That is and is not the answer we thought. We thought Cutter would be the replacement. We did not know that he would be in the middle and he would bump Koba outside to Will, and it's still an inside position, I guess. But they've messed with this before. They were playing Lathan quite a bit at Mike. And then as I go back and watch, when they brought Cutter in to replace Lathan, he pretty much played Mike for the push of that game. And this is the plan they're going to go with moving forward. Yeah, I kind of like it. We This is something the Koba at Will thing is something you and I talked about on this podcast last year, before last year, when we were discussing how he's going to fit in this role. We're like, man, this is a big, strong, fast guy. How great would it be to have him at will rushing the bandit? What about ban- uh, rushing the quarterback? What about bandit? You could even get after the quarterback with that. And I think all that still holds true. And and you look back to the TCU game where, you know, like you said, you know, with Lathan out and Cutter, Cutter was already subbing in for Lathan before the injury in, in, on some series. And when he did, yeah, went to Mike, pushed Cobo uh, over to more of a will. And in that game, Koba had five pressures on the quarterback. They used him like a pass rusher. He really got after the quarterback at times and was doing different things and moving downhill, which I think is best for him, uh, given his skill set. So I'm I'm a big fan of this move. Yeah, he's a weapon. And like they mentioned before, that he could get through the Penn State offensive line. I don't think that was necessarily a one-night-only thing. I think they're like, wait a minute, this guy can do that. Why can't we find ways that he can punch through other offensive lines? And it's a lot different when you put that wrecking ball in the middle of the field and you know where he's going to be. And that weak side switches every time. It could be left side one time. It could be the right side one time. You can move him around, and then you don't have to put him over just the tackle or just the tight end. You can put him over a guard. You can have him twist and stunt. There's a lot of ways for him to be effective. Um, a little bit more murky, maybe, maybe not, is safety. Aubrey Burks, like Milam, practicing in red or being in red at practice. That's a guy who's going to have to practice to play just because of, and I'm using Neil Brown's word here, the trauma involved with that injury. 
um, significant, obviously. It, it it would appear to me he's not on track to play um, well, if at all, here. If he's in red, um, at latest report for me, that would have been yesterday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. If he's not practicing on Tuesday, the game is Thursday. He's going to have to hurry up and get there. I'm not sure that he will. And then it's just a lot of questions. But this is concerning because, Chris, the best group of receivers they've seen so far belong to Houston, correct? Yeah, it looks like it. Like they, they are just like the, the safety, the nickelback we were talking about, Fleming. They are kind of all or nothing with their stuff. They like they are a couple of those guys are among the league leaders in drop rate for the Big 12, Stefan Johnson and Matthew Golden. But this offense is also among one of the best in the country. I believe it, they ranked number 26 in the nation in passing offense. And they are making some plays. They are making a lot of contested catches. Uh, they were at last check. I made this list. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess their numbers still hold true, but they were, they led the big 12 before the open week in contested catches by receivers. So they are kind of a hit or miss, but all or nothing kind of team with that wide receiver group. And, and it's resulted in some big pass plays. Patrick Paul, probably as good as it gets for an offensive lineman, I would say on the schedule so far, but for the beginning of the year to the end of the year, he's going to stand up. Um, probably against anybody that's your left tackle for them and then just kind of they have guys that can play and get you snaps there but anchor on the left side they do some action with their running on the left obviously he's very good but that Paul matchup against it could be Martin it could be Tomiwa Adajayi but West Virginia's been good about getting pressure over the edges that seems like one to watch right there yeah, where where you're going to get the pressure is I don't know if it's going to come on that left side which would be nope. the right side for the defense because like I said, Paul, ninety-four point eight pass blocking rating, PFF. Now that's um, that's that's swell. Uh, left guard Tyler Johnson, seventy-nine point five. So that's very good. So if you're trying to get penetration on that side of the line, good luck. Good luck to you. You're gonna have to get creative with that. I think things get a little more leaky on the right tackle spot and the right edge, which would be left edge for WV's defense. Uh, Ruben. Unije, I believe is how you pronounce it. 57.8 pass blocking grade. Um, again, the, the weakest of the pass blockers on the team. So might be a spot you see West Virginia trying to bring pressure. Donovan Smith has never thrown an incomplete pass against West Virginia. Discuss. I do, was, this, was it two years ago? I, I remember it. I remember it because you were very pro Donovan Smith, and you weren't. You said, watch out. They're going to bring the – they've got this big, tall, strong, fast, backup quarterback. They might bring him in for some trick plays. And I think that was the year that they did. They brought him in. It was like, what was he, like three for three, four for four, yep. ran a couple times. He's what do you read of him? He's, he's got it. What do you make of him? Because he he does kind of profile as like one of those quarterbacks who can give you trouble because he can run. I'm not sure he's straight air raid, but he's he's a dual threat. And again, if he gets moving, he's big. He's tough to bring down. And he's gone from a, I don't want to say gadget quarterback, but certainly a guy that can come in and give you something different. Now he's got the whole show to himself. And it, it's been a hit or miss this year for him too. Um, rushing, I think he's like 55 carries, 160 yards, something like that. Uh, 55, 153, three touchdowns. Passing though, a little bit different. Um Nine touchdowns, three picks, seven yards, an attempt, 65% completion, and he's had some big games. He's been no worse than 225 every game, topped out at 335, four touchdowns against Texas Tech. Um, I think if you watch that game, I'm not saying they could have won. They gave up 14 points on special teams. 
they lose by 21, but their offense played better that game than it had in the past, and he had one of his best days. Yeah, I'm watching this one closely because you have to wonder if he might have kind of found his rhythm or gotten on the right track. You look at those first three games, UTSA, Rice, and TCU, and he was completing only like 56% of his passes, had four touchdowns to three interceptions, um, averaging about 230, 240 um, yards per game. And then he gets the last two games. Now he's completing 75% of his passes. And he's got five touchdowns to zero interceptions. And it's over 300 yards per game in those in those two. And I get I get that you're going to say, hey, it's Sam Houston State. He was better against Texas Tech than he was against Sam Houston State. So it's not the Sam Houston State game that's lifting those stats. It's the Texas Tech game on the road in Lubbock that are lifting the stats in this, in this conversation. So he's had two very good performances back-to-back. And it does make me wonder if, hey, has he found it? Could this be one of those situations where maybe things are starting to click for him and he has another big game this uh, Thursday night? Yeah, what's interesting to me is that while Sam Brown is excellent this year, 34 catches, 518 yards, just one touchdown last game where he had 10 catches for a touchdown against Texas Tech. Um, They got Matthew Golden going against Sam Houston State, had nine catches, had his most yardage. And then that's like an NFL guy. That's a guy that I think is a really good player and he's going to be in the pros and maybe Brown will too. But Golden, a top recruit for them and just hadn't had a terrific season like they thought maybe. And then, all right, nine catches in the fourth game. If you're going to be good, two catches last week, not a lot of yardage. Really got kind of quieted by Texas Tech, which we know not synonymous with great defense. Can they find their way against West Virginia secondary? We'll see here. Um, and the running game, Chris, familiar name, Tony Mathis, but not his show here. If he was looking for more playing time, maybe he's getting it, but change of scenery hasn't done a lot to change his output so far. No, from my conversation with the Houston guys, it sounds like, you know, the job is now Parker Jenkins, uh, freshman, right, from there in Houston. And um, they're kind of shifting things around. You know, Jenkins Jenkins took over that starting role in the week three um, with Sam Houston State. 20 carries in that one, 13 carries last week against Texas Tech. Um, and, and yeah, he kind of, you know, he, he left the situation in WVU because there were four running backs and the fifth one coming in and, now he's involved in a situation where he's the second or third running back with a quarterback who runs it just as much, if not more, than some of the running backs. So um, it, it's a crowded backfield back there uh, for all sorts of runners. Any other aspects here before we get into our talking points that we'll be sure to be talking about after the game? Get pressure on Smith. I mean, I feel like we say that a lot. And, and some of the stats for some of the quarterbacks don't quite – you know, indicate that you, you have to get pressure. But Smith, when he's kept clean, 71% completion, seven TDs, one interception, 85.7 PFF grade. When he's under pressure, 39.5% completion percentage, two TDs, two INTs, and a 40.5 PFF grade. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And they're not going to bail on him either. If he has a bad game, if he's, you know, got his head down because of turnovers where he can't run or can't move the ball, He's their QB one, two, and three. They just don't have a lot of depth behind him and no one that they trust right now. Um, not a far fall from Clayton Toon, but like Toon was just a totally different guy with the way they ran the offense and moved the ball, in particular how they threw it too. And maybe that's some growing pains right now, but we'll see. Uh, Saturday, excuse me, Thursday, 7 p.m. That gets us up in the press box post game, Chris. Eh, 11, maybe. We'll see. Maybe even sooner because we don't actually have to go down to the news conference at Houston Stadium. When you and I get together, win or lose. Who or what are we talking about that explains the outcome between the Mountaineers and the Cougars? 
this is the game where I think you this feels very strong. This is first take, hot take kind of thing. This is the game, I think, where you decide if Garrett Green's your quarterback of the future, not just for the rest of the season. I mean, I, th- I feel like obviously you're going with him most of the rest of the season, pretty much no matter what, but your choice for beyond because this is going to be the easiest pass defense you are going to face all season long. These receivers should be open. Garrett Green should be able to find them and connect on those passes. And I think whether he can or cannot is what we're going to be talking about late Thursday night. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to get away from this general point, though, about sustainability. Can they do it on offense the way they're doing it? No. Can they do it on defense the way they're going to have to do it? Probably also no. But for one night, they're going to have to be good enough on defense because the answers aren't going to arrive. So they're going to have to make it work with who and what they have against an offense that is not prolific. And then offensively, yeah, man, if they if they do believe they've been handcuffed and that they just needed time to get on track, well, they've had the time and the handcuffs should be gone by now. Like any magician can find their way out of this. They should have figured it out by now. And if it isn't solved or if it isn't more toward the resolution by Saturday night, you have some issues. And if they do start to leak on defense there, you really have to wonder about what's going on forward. So we'll definitely have more reason to speculate, I think, at the end of this one. Coming up, condensed week. All of our pregame features, the matchup by Chris, the fresh set by me, some videos previewing the game, plenty of talk, plenty of video, plenty of anticipation for West Virginia at Houston to reunion with Dana Holgerson and, I don't know, like 30 of the former Mountaineers there. Should be a fun one. Until then, I am Mike Casazza. I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.